G'day and welcome to the Bloody Bazaar podcast. This is episode 23. We're back into it for 2023. Oh, 23 and 23. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the first episode of this year. I haven't seen any yowies. I think everyone is collectively shocked. Yeah, I know. Been looking. None in the bushland up near my house. Yet. No, um, no yahoos either. You are a yahoo. Me? I don't have backwards feet and talons. You may as well. What's that supposed to mean? Your feet are disgusting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Weird feet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, Peach, PRC, mm. she's got the same weird feet as me. And she's amazing. So. She's successful, yeah. Good company. Strange bedfellows. I don't know. I don't know what that means, really. I think it means like, like, like attracts like or something similar i think that that's a longer saying it's like something that makes strange ba- bedfellows oh yeah but you know that i don't like sayings and i make my own yeah yeah you do thank you to the people who started following us on social media and stuff and actually listening to the counts that matter mm-hmm, like listening mm-hmm. listening not just following on social media yeah yeah we appreciate you also important thank you to our listeners who have come back from last year we love you guys mm-hmm mm-hmm Think of you like our sisters. Yeah. And brothers. Yeah. Like we're all just hanging around, having a wine. And maybe I'm just trying to like figure out why we're the ones that are talking. Um, we just love the sound of our own voices. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. No, they've given us the talking stick. Okay. Yeah. We're around a campfire and everyone's telling story, stories. Stories. And they've given had <laughs> eroticism. And they've given us the um, the talking stick. And so it's our turn. And yeah. they've already had their turn. They've, yeah. well, we've listened to their stories. Now we're telling a, sto- a story and then it'll go back around to them. Yep. Yep. I like that. I like that a lot. So we're all camping. Let's think of it. Let's imagine that we're all camping in like Canada. No, nah, that's cold. But in summer. In, no, in spring, in like autumn. So it's a little nippy, but we have a campfire. Yeah, that's nice. And so we're telling like ghosty stories around the campfire. Yeah. <laughs> we have yeah. like, we have tents and, and we're, it's just like a bunch of us. Yeah. I love that. I like that too. See, that's like what I used to do with like setting the vibe. Oh yeah. You did used yeah. to set the vibe. Yeah. Good that we did set the vibe for this one because this is a, this is a bad story. Okay. Um, do we need to do like a trigger warning? I have written in my notes a trigger warning, so mm. um, don't even worry about it. Do what, want, what are you doing today? So do you want me to just jump in? Yeah. We're only like three minutes in. Do you want me to just like, listen, subscribe, all that shit? Yeah, yeah. Like, listen, subscribe. <laughs> we should probably say what our podcast is about. Oh, this is bloody bizarre. Did I say that at the start? No. God, how embarrassing. <laughs> like 23 episodes in, I still haven't nailed it. Hey, this is people, bloody, can, people can see it when they click on it's it. It's bloody bizarre. It's We talk about things that are bloody and things that are bizarre and things that are bloody bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll hear us talking about cryptids, true crime, ghosts, just anything weird. I think we said once anything that makes you go, what the fuck, that's stuff that we'll talk about yeah 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 yeah. so that's pretty much us and we're two sisters and we usually sit and have a glass of wine and tell each other for a second there this only this only loaded the top paragraph and i thought that you had i thought it hadn't saved and you can see that i've done oh go damn go damn indeed um yeah so just you know what sarah said i wasn't listening um should i jump in yeah yeah let's go for it so today i'm going to tell you about the queen street massacre Oh, I've heard of this You've one. You've heard of it? I don't know much about it in detail, but I have heard of it. All right. So I also apologize for my voice. I still have a little bit of a, like, you know, cough. As do I. We haven't been kissing. We just... Uh, Ew, what, each other? <laughs> yes. 
like <laughs> don't even put that thought in their head <laughs> i've been well, kissing other people anytime like two people are sick i'm like oh they kissed <laughs> i don't even think that i do you're sick <laughs> literally and figuratively yeah yeah rock girl <laughs> go and join the yowies <laughs> all right so my sources today are the rolling stone online article by poppy reed i'm pretty sure i've referenced one of hers before you have yeah i think you've referenced her like two or three times i know yeah she, i think she must be like a true crime writer for rolling stone right yeah um uh, the Age article by Damien Murphy, Murderpedia, Wikipedia, and um, the police statement from Donald McElroy. So this story is one of a mass shooting that occurred in Australia in the 80s. And so I want to give a, um, a content warning specifically to our American listen- listeners. I know this is probably going to trigger them more than the Australian listeners who um, perhaps don't experience this quite as often as they may. Um, so if you need to sit this one out, fine. Just a warning that I'm going to be talking about mass shootings. So with that in mind, let's begin. It's 1987 in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. Onlookers around the Australia Post Victorian head office at 191 Queen Street watched in horror as a man, later identified as Frank Vitkovich, plunged out the 11th floor window landing on the footpath or sidewalk below, dying upon impact. Jesus. In the building he had just jumped from, Vitkovich had murdered eight people and injured more in a mass shooting that lasted just seven minutes. Oh my god. During this period in Australia, gun violence was not as uncommon uncommon as it is today. So gun violence wouldn't be largely curbed until in Australia until uh, 1996 following the Port Arthur massacre, after which the Howard government, with bipartisan support, initiated a gun buyback program and banned semi-automatic and pump-action shotguns and rifles from civilian possession. It's that easy that easy but during this time the 80s guns were much easier to get and own so let's back up a little bit okay frank vitkovich he was born 7th of september 1965 to a croatian father and an an italian mother he that's a fiery mix yeah right croatians are fiery and italians are fiery yeah i feel like it would be like a, a passionate household yeah yeah um he also had an older sister and he grew up in the melbourne suburb of west preston anyone knows that i don't i don't either vitkovich attended a catholic school which is i guess probably standard fare for a croatian father and an italian mother he was really good at tennis he won a number of awards in the sport but his tennis aspirations were unfortunately halted because he had a knee injury unfortunate a former um secretary of the club where vitkovich played tennis said that he often threw on-court tantrums oh god and he did not easily accept losses who's that guy that does that now Kyrios. Kyrios. if Kyrios had a knee injury who knows where he would have ended up yeah what is it with tennis players it seems like like it's not a contact sport and it's not a team sport either which is i think telling interesting Mm. yeah but it's like it's not i don't know it doesn't seem to me like this sort of sport where you should be getting that angry well like here's the rugby and stuff you're getting hit you're getting like physically sure but i think in tennis it's like every single piece of pressure is on you only yeah do you know what i mean yeah i suppose and i feel like the coaches are often like very intense yeah um, the training schedule is very intense and if you make it live like if you fuck up you know you can do better you know like any tennis player can be number one it's like and any little minor mistake you make it can be a millimeter of that tennis ball being over the line and yeah. you have like lost so all of these tennis players that are like having these little tantrums they're just angry at themselves 
<coughs> That's kind of what we're going to see with Frank Vitkovic. Interesting. He, uh, this, this, um, back to this tennis coach, or secretary rather, sorry. He said, um, Vitkovic had won a singles championship in his first year at the club, but he left the next year after he lost the title. So a sore loser too. The, this injury, this knee injury that I just spoke about, um, this was referenced in notes left for his family. So a lot has been made of that injury. How old was he when he got that injury? I think like, um, like late teens. Okay. So like around the time that he would have been starting to like take off professionally correct yeah and he was he was a he was a very good tennis player okay yeah so that kind of fucked him okay but you know who else had a sports injury that halted their dreams of becoming pro and that was on that track you me (laughs) yeah did i go down this path no (laughs) plenty of people have shitty childhoods Mm. i'm not defending him don't worry Sounds like you are. I'm not defending him. I just think it is. Um, it's telling. It's interesting. It's, it's like in, a t- yeah. it sounds like it's like a turning point. Uh, yeah, yeah. But but not necessarily when you go into when I'm. Let me tell you the story. Not necessarily mm. this. Okay. Um, it seems like Frank had some issues from early on. Right. He had he had a bit going on. Bit going on internally. Vitkovic was apparently bullied in school and was lonely. Mm. So so um unique. I fucking hate this guy. Like, because I know the rest of the story. Yeah. I'm so harsh, but I mean, who who wasn't bullied in high school and who doesn't experience loneliness from time to time? Fucking internalize it. <laughs> internalize it. Drink too much. Be like a normal person. Yeah. Take yes, I do work in the mental health field. What of it? <laughs> so from high school, he started a law degree. And I've also read that he started this at Melbourne University, which is the top university in Australia. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know if it was at the time. Mm. Um, and I also don't know if he if he actually did start it at Melbourne University because I also read a different school. Okay. Um, but I think he did because it, Melbourne knew was referenced later on in this story too. So okay. So I he think he did. So a prestigious university. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he obviously did okay in high school to get into it. Yep. I don't know what it was like in the 80s to like, you know, entrance scores and whatever. But And I think it was still free in the 80s too so yeah calm down frank you're like you don't have it that bad <laughs> but he um he did drop out he discontinued um because he had poor grades mm, there's a bit of a pattern there mm. like when things start getting hard or like as soon if he's not if good he experiences a failure away, sounds yeah. like a perfectionist like you know mm. certain perfectionists if they're not good at something straight away they just will stop yeah. doing it so at the age of 22 frank has dropped out of uni um he was severely depressed and he started obsessing over a mass shooting that had occurred just months earlier in melbourne uh, the hoddle street massacre Oh, no. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. So in that one, um, a man named Julian Knight shot and killed seven people on Hoddle Street just five kilometres or three miles away in inner city in the inner city suburb of Clifton Hill. Why? So this guy, I, I didn't do full research on it, but from what I could glean from like re- referenced news articles was that this guy was an ex-army guy and he was so angry and he just started shooting indiscriminately on the street. And he's still in prison. And he just, he had a, a parole um, hearing like uh, 2014, I think, and it got denied. And imagine going into prison in 1980 and coming out in 2024. Well, I don't think he deserved to come out. No, me neither. Yeah. <coughs> I just mean like purely. If that were, yeah, yeah. Like how, the, the difference How crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like mobile phones. Internet. I mean, I'm sure they like get stuff in prison, but yeah like the world so different Mm. anyway that's a going off on a tangent so after the events at queen street which i'm going to go on to talk about a coronial inquest was obviously launched as part of this uh, vitkovich's diary entries were scrutinized to try and determine a motive 
Amongst obvious severe depression, investigators also noted a possible sexual problem. Okay. So, in an earlier diary entry, Vitkovich had referenced an incident when he was eight years old and he was uh, forced to undress in a school locker room. Schoolmates made fun of his uncircumcised penis. What? Yeah. Um, He wrote... Is circumcised the norm? Maybe it was in the 80s in a Catholic school. Do Catholics circumcise? I I thought that was just a A Jewish Jewish thing. thing. Maybe it's a Catholic thing too. Weird. But uh, he wrote in his diary... After this, this is quote, after this nudity was a dirty word for me. Since the age of 12, I knew that normal sex was not possible for me and I avoided girls completely until I was 19. Whoa. How, how, would, an, how would an uncircumcised penis mean that normal sex was not possible? I'm assuming that one of the boys said something to him. Yeah. About like, oh, you. Or maybe it was like, um, like psychological. Psychological. He like, couldn't if get I can't it up get or, naked, yeah. then I can't have sex. So, until he was 19. In another diary entry, he wrote, It's hard for a self-conscious guy like me to talk to girls with confidence. So, so sounding a little bit incelly. A little bit, yeah. A little bit incelly. I mean, look, lots of I'm sure lots of guys feel like that, that it's sure. insecure and it's hard to talk to women. In his later discovered manifestos. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. Um, he addressed them to a, a woman, a nondescript woman named Sally, because he quote always wanted a girlfriend named sally so frank said the whole world hates me but don't worry world i hate you back three times as fucking much so he was filled with rage this guy okay. <laughs> like, yeah so what what do you say to this sally oh it's i haven't got the full manifesto here but he um that's like essentially he was just on this in this manifesto he talked about a few different things about why he had committed this crime and he like he he um, wrote little passages to his parents and i don't think i don't know if the police have released it because at one point they say the police believe that this single person at this place was the target but i didn't read anything to explain why that might be the case okay so they're still not sure what his actual motive was was. like there are theories obviously Mm -hmm. um and i'm going to talk about a few of them yeah so he also seemed to have this like seething jealousy and rage for uh successful office workers that is so weird. But think about it. If this guy wanted, if this guy was trying to be a lawyer, um, let's say in the eighties, the height of success was working in one of the high-rise buildings in Melbourne. Yeah. And yeah. he's got a drop out, and he's got this mm-hmm. knee injury, and like, you know. Yeah, I suppose it depends what your values are, and if you and what your you, mental health situation is, what your mental health is, and what you think is important. If you if you see those workers, and you're like, that is the height of success, mm-hmm. and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. To so, me, that's weird because... Sure, that's not your... Yeah, yeah. So he wrote in his diary, um, <clears throat> quote, I see those people in the city and I admire them and yet I hate them because they've been the ones who've lumped shit on me all these years and they have all the things I want but I will never have, end quote. He also said, quote, those greedy businessmen and women in the city, they are all pigs and pigs always end up in the slaughterhouse. Jesus. Yeah, so he's full on. So... With this backdrop of his mental health, in September of 1987, Vitkovich obtained his shooting license. Right. He was asked at the time why he wanted the license, and he said, quote, I desire to go hunting. Ew, why did he say it like that? Yeah. That should have... Because he's a freak. They should... <laughs> once he said that, they should have been like, you can't have it anymore. That was weird. And he'd be like, no, no, I want to go hunting. And they're like, no, you said desire. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so he bought a rifle on lay-by, which I'm not sure is a thing that's all across the world, but that's essentially like um, you pay it off in installments until you finally pay it off in full and then you get the thing. Collecting it in October. So remember, this shooting happened in December. He gets his rifle – oh, sorry, was it a rifle? Yeah, this rifle in October, and he quickly illegally modified the gun, shortening the barrel length, amongst other modifications. Oh, God. Also in October of 1987 – so remember, this is like two to three months before the shooting. Frank had undertaken a Scientology personality test. Now, the the results of this test showed that Frank had hit, quote, hit rock bottom. The person administering the test did not advise Vitkovich to see a psychiatrist. What did he do? Told him to become a Scientologist. Mm-hmm. He told him to enroll in, sci- in a Scientology course. This is why these people shouldn't be just like banding around psychological advice. That's why I didn't call it the Church of Scientology because I'm like, fuck them. It's a cult. So um, just for your information, this personality test, in quotes, uh, was taken like two weeks before he picked up his gun. So he gets this personality test that says you've hit rock bottom. This guy goes, oh, maybe you should um, fucking enroll in this cult Scientology. And then Vitkovich gets his gun after he's been told you've hit rock bottom, mate. Nothing else. So he he doesn't join Scientology? Not that I saw, no. It's just like, cool, thanks. Cool, thanks. I just wanted to confirm that I have hit rock bottom. There's no lower I can go. Excellent. I'm at the lowest that I can possibly be. Yeah. Perfect. So um, forensic psychologist Dr. Alan Bartholomew told the coroner's court later on that Vitkovich would have been eligible at the time to be certified insane under the Mental Health Act um, after studying his diaries. Bartholomew concluded that he was likely a paranoid schizophrenic and that there was no doubt that this personality test worsened his depression and might have contributed to the decline in his mental state. Yeah. Bartholomew agreed that Vitkovich was criminally insane at the time of the shooting and said Vitkovich could have identified with Rambo and the Hoddle Street killings. So he was having delusions as well. So here's the thing, right? I've got this. This is the next part. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to start disagreeing with a doctor of forensic psychology, but in his diary entries and his letters and everything else, he seems to be really self-aware and I didn't see any kind of hallucinations or delusions. He's- doctor that said this mm. was he working for the defense no he was it was um it was part of the coroner's inquest oh, okay. so it was like the state so it was unbiased unbiased okay um maybe it was like you said stuff that they didn't release yeah maybe um but he does seem very self-aware and i wouldn't expect to say that in someone with paranoid schizophrenia um like he writes things like quote when i go out people don't seem real i don't feel part of it i never have really my life is such a failure so you could think that that does suggest some kind of delusion but then to me that just sounds like someone who's experiencing um like like disassociation disassociation as as a as a symptom of depression yeah which is very common so common so i mean it's it kind of moot at this point whether or not he is legally insane or not it's it's unimportant i Mm. suppose other than we need to strengthen mental health laws and and availabilities it's only gotten worse it's only gotten worse um so because of this manifesto that was found by police after the shootings they do believe that vitkovich had planned out and intended to enter the ospost building to massacre those inside they thought that was his plan the whole time that this was not like just a chance occurrence that you know he suddenly snapped or whatever. He had he had a full plan for this. You might get into it. Did he have any kind of links to Ozpost? Why Ozpost? 
So I'm going to tell you about a guy that was apparently the target. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. But to me, he just sounds like an angry, depressed man. Yeah. Who won't get help that he needs. And he believes that other people are to blame for his inadequacies and um, they have to pay. Yeah. Which is so common. So this leads us up to around 4.20 p.m. on December 8th, 1987. Blaze it. Frank Vitkovich enters the building at 191 Queen Street, where around 1,000 people work. He's holding a brown paper bag, which conceals his sawn-off M1 carbine rifle. So Vitkovich goes up to the fifth floor, which is the office of the Telecom Employees Credit Cooperative. Now, Telecom is the old name for Telstra, which is our like national telecommunications company. So it's like a... Phone and internet company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He asks to speak with a former school friend, still concealing his weapon and appearing normal. This friend, Con Margellis, comes out to the front counter and he speaks briefly with Vitkovich. I couldn't find anywhere what they spoke about. But police believe that Con was the initial intended victim. Okay. And I'm going to talk about why Con believes this is the case later on. So, spoiler, Con survives. Okay. Um, But they, they do believe that Con was the intended victim. So, Vitkovich suddenly pulls this weapon from the bag and he goes to shoot Con. The weapon jams. (laughs) <laughs> you got shivers. Yes. <laughs> I just imagine that moment I know. where, like, everything's normal and then you have the moment of them pulling the gun out and you being you like – You see them I'm, pull the trigger. You hear I'm a click. I'm die. You hear it click. And then, like – Nothing happens. Jamming. And everyone's just frozen. Yeah. So Con jumps behind the counter, right? Vitkovich unjams his weapon and he starts shooting. He first kills a young female office worker, 19-year-old Judith, 19 – Baby. 19-year-old Judith Ann Morris. Witnesses describe Vitkovich's eyes as being those of someone completely insane, adding that he laughed a sick laugh as he shot after he shot Judith. Oh, God, so he's that's completely so creepy. Lost a fellow employee presses the security alarm at 4.22 p.m. So we know that, like, essentially we know that the shooting started. And also there is security footage of all this. From inside the building. From inside the building. Oh, fuck. Um, I don't know the security footage of all of it. I just saw stills from the entryway, so when he first started the shooting. So they do yeah. know exactly what time it started, and obviously they know what time he plummeted to his death. So anyway, this this um, employee presses the security alarm at 4.22 p.m., alerting the security company that something is happening. That's all that company knows. It's like when you, you know, accidentally press the silent alarm. Yeah, yeah. So knowing Vitkovich can't move quickly due to his knee injury, because I remember Con knows this, Con Margellis runs to the women's toilets. That's quite a significant injury then if it's even if it's like impacting if his, he can't even move quickly yeah, because of gait. it. Yeah. Like it's not that he just can't play sport. It's mm-hmm. like he is semi-disabled. Well, he can still walk around easily. He just can't move quickly, I think. I think he just can't run on it. Um, so Con runs to the women's toilets and he will survive the shooting, which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that his supposed main target is gone, um, Vitkovich keeps moving. He gets into the elevator, and I don't think that he actually pressed the number. I think he just went to whichever floor it was going up to. My God. So he's like, it's scary, right? Yeah. Just because there's no rhyme or reason. Exactly. Like, imagine you're just waiting at the elevator. On the 12th floor. And he's the person who gets off. He gets out. Yep. Um, So the 12th floor is where the Australia Post Philatelli Security Section is housed. Do you know what Philatelli means? No. It's related to stamps. So I assume that this section is like stamp integrity and stamp fraud and all that kind of stuff. Right. So after the elevator doors open, he moves through the security doors and he shoots and wounds immediately two staff members, a male and a female. He then points his gun at a young woman sitting behind her desk 
And inexplicably, rather than shooting her, he pauses and he moves the barrel left and then he kills two other young women, Julie Faye McBean, who was 20, and Nancy Avignon, who was just 18. Oh my God, they're so young. They're, they're all so, all young, so yeah. young, yeah. Who was the woman who survived, who he didn't I'm shoot? not sure. She's not named. I was wondering if, like, maybe he looked like – she looked like her, his sister or, like, yeah, you know, maybe somebody, there was something like that. Yeah, somebody he because was close to. until this point, he's just been shooting um, indiscriminately. indiscriminately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Warren David Spencer, a 29-year-old in a corner office, is also shot and killed during this time. So not that it's, like, any sadder than any other killing, but so far everyone killed is under the age of 30. I do think that's sadder mm. because it's like they haven't even had a chance to have a life. Right. Or, like, they, they're they just beginning their lives. Yeah. I also wonder if, like, at the beginning of this shooting, Vitkovich was picking young people. Yeah, how old was he? when 22. I reckon he was. I, do you know he was what? like, fuck you for living this life yeah, that I exactly. want. It's I mean, uh, so after this point, he does shoot people that are older. Okay. But, and not that much older. Like, I think the oldest is, like, 38. So no one is old. Would still look, look fairly young. young. Yeah, yeah, I reckon he's targeting young people because he's fucking pissed off that they're living the life yeah. that he wants. He still feels like that kid that got bullied by yeah. the other kids at school. Dickhead. So, um, so he's on the twelfth floor. At Vitkovich, then just he's like, well, everyone here is dead. I'm gonna run, or like you know, I've shot everyone here. I've exhausted this floor. So he runs down the stairwell to the eleventh floor. Um, he starts firing indiscriminately across the office. He charges into this computer tra- computer training center. Here, Michael Francis McGuire is standing at the coffee machine preparing to end his day. Michael is shot and killed at point blank range and he was about to go home to his son's fifth birthday party. No. Oh, is this the guy that was 30, 39 or whatever? I'm not sure how old Michael Francis McGuire was. Uh, he was in his 30s, yeah. Um, I'm not sure how old though. That is so sad. Mm-hmm. Oh so God. that son forever on his birthday is the day his dad died. I told it was a bad one. Yeah, that's really, really sad. Vitkovich then moves to the northeast corner of this office, the same floor, effectively trapping multiple employees. So he shoots multiple employees here. He fir- he kills Marianne Jacoba or Jacoba Van Uke. She's 38. Catherine Mary Dowling. She's 28. And uh, Rodney Gerard Brown. He's 32. Some employees were shot while hiding under their desks and many were shot at point-blank range in the head. While they were hiding under yep. their desks. And so he was going around to people who were cowering under their desks and shooting And them. there's testimony from people that were there saying people had their hands over their heads and he would just, like, go up to them and shoot them execution style. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. This guy is an absolute piece of shit. Yeah. Um, apparently he was saying things like, that'll teach you and, like, um, I'm going to die today and you're all going to die with me. So at this point, an already shot and wounded Donald McElroy watches fellow worker Tony Joya tackle Vitkovich after hearing Vitkovich say something along the lines of this fucking gun's jammed. <gasps> so Joya sees his chance. Whoa, that's brave. And he, and he runs and he tackles him. Tony immediately calls out for help, right? He's like, F- f- uh, you know. Yeah, I've got him on the ground. Yeah. So immediately Frank Carmody, who himself had been shot multiple times, jumps in as well. And then they wrestle the rifle away from Vitkovich's grip. Oh, my gosh. Claire Chalkley Heroes. then jumps in as well. And she's sitting on Vitkovich. And then Donald, who's shot badly. He, he, Donald got shot and it pushed him back and he broke the glass behind him. So he's got a huge gash in his arm, a huge gash in his back. He's shot in his 
upper body and he's just watching all this like bleeding and then he sees that these people need help so he gets up and he jumps on frank as well oh my god so there's four people on frank at the moment right on on vitkovich i, I should say because that frank carmody is one of the guys that jump on him so i'm gonna call him vitkovich okay yeah so there's four people on vitkovich right now vitkovich more like <laughs> Then, after they've wrestled the, the rifle away from him, wounded office worker Rosemary Spiteri grabs the free rifle and throws it in the refrigerator to hide it. And there's a photo of it in the refrigerator, and you can see beers in the background, which is really sad to me. Yeah, it that is. That this is like a really sounds like like a, a nice, fun, nice office okay. place. Lots of young they have people. like Friday Arvo beers. Yeah. So the struggle between the men and um, Chalkley continues. Vitkovich breaks free. He runs towards an open window which had been shattered by shots and by Donald McElroy's body slumping against it when he was shot. Yeah. Joya grabs his ankles to stop him, to prevent him from falling as well and to, like, apprehend him. Yeah. But Vitkovich is kicking him and, like, running towards the door and kicking him and eventually he gets free and he plunges 11 floors to his death, ending the spree at 4.27 p.m. How many people died? Eight. So and I'm, if they hadn't got the gun off him... Many more. It would have been so many. He more. would have just kept. He would have kept going. People. Yeah. Um, so police enter the building at four thirty p.m. So that's three minutes after Frank hits the ground. Yeah. So how many more people would have died mm. in those three minutes? Well, no, no. Police only entered the building because Frank hit the ground. They weren't just going to oh. breach. Yeah. Oh, so even with the alarm. Yeah, it yeah, just would have it, been it was too dangerous. They didn't know how many shooters there were. They didn't know like what was going on. They probably would have entered the first floor, but remember these guys are on the eleventh floor. Yeah, yeah. They weren't just going to like take the elevator up to a random floor. They would have yeah. cleared floor by floor. So it would have taken them. Probably, so everyone on that floor would have been probably, killed. Yeah, and any other floor as well. Um, so they clear each floor, making sure there's no no other gunmen before allowing emergency personnel in at five p.m. to tend to the wounded. That's quite a long time. It is, but in the um, in the inquest or the criminal inquest, they found that no extra time would have saved anyone. Um, okay. In fact, Rodney Gerard Brown was alive when the police got to him, but um, a, a neurologist or something like that said that um, even if he had made it to a specialised unit within 15 minutes, his chances of survival would have been slim. Yeah. So, um, and also, you, I guess you can't put the paramedics at that at risk, risk that there's still a gunman in there because then, like, you potentially – that's more people that are going to get shot. That's, yeah. So um, I'm just going to give you a list of the people that were killed again. So we have Judith Ann Morris, who was 19, Judith Ann Morris, who was 19, Julie Faye McBean, who was 20, Anunziata, also known as Nancy Avignon, who was 18, um, Warren David Spencer, who was 29, Michael Francis Maguire, who was 38. I think he was the father. Marianne Yacoba Van Uke, who was 38. Catherine Mary Dowling, who was 28. And Rodney Gerard Brown, who was 32. And they all died of gunshot wounds. Everyone was under 40. So it does seem it's a little bit targeted. Yeah. 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 Because I'm assuming there were older people in the building. I would say, yeah. I mean, like, this is a thousand people work there. There's got to be f- old people there. Yeah. There old people in every workplace. You can't get rid of them. <laughs> And so many more were injured, both um, physically and obviously psychologically. Yeah, God. I really find these sort of stories so scary. Like, I mean, sad, horrifying, all the rest of it, but so scary because it's like a normal work day. Nobody's doing anything wrong. They're just doing their jobs. Mm. And when you're at work, it's like the last thing on your mind to be. You feel the safest at work, oddly. Weirdly. In the aftermath of the shooting, as I mentioned earlier, police actions and Frank's motives and life were scrutinised as part of the coronial inquest. Mm -hmm. 
In a note left for his parents, Frank wrote, Today is going to be the day. The anger in my head has got too much for me. I've got to get rid of my violent impulses. The time has come to die. There's no other way out. You don't have to get rid of your violent impulses. You also don't have to kill everyone else. Yeah. You can just kill yourself. Yeah. This night was You could just go to therapy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's ideal. (laughs) If you have violent impulses and you want to kill yourself, go and see a therapist. Yeah. This note was discovered by police, not his parents. So it was left for his parents, but they didn't find it. A rumor circulated that he had sought help from Melbourne University Counseling Services. This is why I said that I think he probably, he, he might have actually gone to Melbourne U. Oh, so he did try and okay, seek counseling. No. So the head of law at the university, Susie Nixon, later told a news outlet that while Vitkovich had once, had once sought counseling during his career with the law school, um, reports that he'd been at the university on the date of the shooting were totally unfounded. Okay. So he maybe tried it once and was like, it's not for me. Yeah. But look, people listening, if you've been to therapy and you say, I, I don't think that's for me, I didn't like that therapist, try again. Yeah. It might take you like three, four, five times before you find a therapist that you click with. Yeah. So Con Margellis, the man who Frank Vitkovich oh, had gone to. The supposed initial. The supposed target. Target. Uh, he testified to the coronial inquest that he and Vitkovich had been friends for several years. Margellis or Margellis said um, that after Vitkovich arrived to see him on 8th of December, he pulled out his rifle, he tried to pull the trigger, and then he aimed it at a female colleague and told her not to move. So that kind of doesn't like gel with the reports that have come out since then but knowing that Vitkovich could not move quickly due to a bad knee Margellus jumped over the counter and hid in the women's toilets on the fifth floor Margellus said that he expected Vitkovich would come after him leaving the others in the office safe so how long were they like when were they friends were they friends up until this happened or were they like friends in childhood and so um so let me just read this part of possible reasons for Vitkovich's actions Margellus said he had not seen Vitkovich in the months prior months prior so he'd seen him that year i suppose okay adding i can't really explain like why he did it um my jealous said vitkovich had become depressed and embittered after injuring his leg playing tennis but didn't that happen when he it was did happen a few years like 18 i think something? so yeah yeah followed so um this is his he injured his leg playing tennis and then he had a failed operation to repair the damage mm-hmm. my jealous said he began to see little of vitkovich due to his depression so it seems like Vitkovich suffered this injury. He was not able to play tennis anymore. He dropped out of uni. He got worse and worse and worse. He had this um, surgery. It didn't work. He got worse and worse and worse. He's depressed. He's angry. This Hoddle Street massacre happens. He's like, hey, that yeah. seems like something that I could get on board with. Yeah. Uh, and then just kind of snowballs from there. And then he gets that fucking Scientology dickhead being like, yeah, you've hit rock bottom. You should become a Scientologist. And he was given a gun. <laughs> yep, and he was given a gun. Um, it should also be noted that no drugs or alcohol was found in Vitkovich's system at the time. Yeah. So Tony Joyer and Frank Carmody, who tackled and disarmed Vitkovich, were later awarded Australia's second highest bravery decoration, the Star of Courage for Conspicuous Bravery. Claire Chalkley and Donald McElroy received commendations for bravery as well. There is currently a stained glass window memorial dedicated to eight people who lost their lives thanks to Frank Vitkovich. And 191 Queen Street is now a hotel in an apartment block. Ooh, what mm. happened? You know, like Adena Apartments? Yeah. It's one of them. Oh. Um, and that brief information on the 191 Queen Street massacre from No, that's, that's much more than I knew about it. So I didn't even know it was in a post office. 
Well, it's, it was the Ospost building. So, so like their like admin. Well, I think it's like um, I think it's like you know how Bankwest owned the Bankwest building, but multiple businesses work in it. Oh. I think it's like that. Okay. Because yeah. a thousand people worked there. I don't think they all worked for Ozpost. And like there was that um, telecom, telecom yeah. wasn't owned by Ozpost. So yeah. Yeah. I think it was it was the Ozpost building, but mm-hmm. I think it was. Um, Just it's also mentioned businesses. on the Wikipedia page for Going Postal. I was gonna say. Yeah. 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 There's like so too many. Too many. Too many links to postal Post workers. Offers, and yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah, sad story. And fucking Frank Vickovich. Dickhead. Very sad story. Yeah. And we should probably say if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling extremely angry, that there are resources available. In whatever country you're in, there are multiple resources available. People want to help you. Yeah. The resources aren't always great, but... Don't say that. Well, they're not. The mental health system here is a bit of a joke. Don't say that. Give them hope. <laughs> People need hope. I mean, you know, so you still keep listening to us. Keep come back listening to us. Don't do anything until we tell you to do something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the time's now, right, guys. Now. Go. <laughs> go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's really sad. I mean, yeah. anything where young people die, anything, anything where people are killed, like yeah. before their time, anyway. But it's just like an extra layer of really sad when it's young people and the father. Yeah, like that that five year old. I just like I can't even imagine that. So that five year old would be like thirty something now. Yeah. What was that? So what was it? Nineteen eighty seven, and he was five. So I can't do the maths, but he'd be like forty two or something like that. Wouldn't even be that old. Nineteen eighty seven, he would be thirty five, thirty six. Yeah. No, it's really sad. But I, I, I was going to do that case last year. Yeah. Um, but I left it off because I've done too many true crime cases. And then I was going to do a different one to start off this year. Um, but it was short and there wasn't a lot of information. And it was kind of like straightforward. This lady just had mental health issues. And so mm. I was like, okay, well, that's not – I don't want to talk about that case. So yeah. I brought this one forward because it's kind of – you know, it's a big one. It is, yeah. Like I, I have heard about it before. I just haven't – like I didn't know anything about it. Okay, if you are experiencing any kind of um, suicidal ideation or anything like that, uh, you can contact Lifeline Australia on 131114. Um, you can also SMS 0477131114. And I would encourage you to look up the numbers in your countries too because that's obviously yeah, sorry, Australian. That's, that's just one. Australian. Um, but there's plenty of services available in, in, in whatever country you're in. Mm. I'll just reach out to someone you know. So that's we, the we, story of the Queen Street Massacre. I was going to say, we can't afford to lose any listeners. Cannot. <laughs> that is the main... Um, that's the main reason. Main reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that was great because it, it was very sad, but um, an important one to talk about. I think very relevant like it's very interesting that kind of time period in australia Mm. before the port arthur massacre because i think people forget that we did actually used to have quite a few mass shootings yeah yeah it wasn't things were very different before 1996 um like so like that hoddle street massacre had happened just months earlier yeah and in the early 90s, there was a few as well. Yeah. Like, it wasn't an unheard of thing like no. it is now. And it did take, like, I mean, so the Hoddle Street Massacre happened. Then a few months later, the Queen Street Massacre, politicians did nothing. Yeah, yeah. So you can, like, you can understand the frustrations of um, Americans that want gun reform. 
I think it's, not getting it. it's just so insane in America because it's like they've had the most horrific ones, like little children, little kindergartners being yeah. shut down and the politicians have still done nothing. Yeah. And like Columbine and like ones I mean, that were Uvalde massive. just recently. Like, yeah, like massive, massive ones. And it's all just like hopes and prayers. I mean, this just this year, I think I saw a, a infographic that said there's 39 mass shootings have happened just this year, 2023. Really? Is uh-huh. that true? Um, I can look it up. You should check if that's true. Yeah, give me a second. Just in America? Uh-huh. Like how you can have that and not be doing anything about it. I just, I don't understand it. Yeah, so this is three days ago. 39 US mass shootings already this year. It's only been a month. It's not even been a 27 month. 27 days into the year and there's been 39 mass shootings. So more than one a day. What the fuck? Three weeks and 39 mass shootings. This is America in 2023. That's an article from CNN. Yeah, that is not okay. So. I'm sorry. Anyone who doesn't believe in gun reform in the US is a fucking idiot. Like We have a listener that doesn't believe in gun reform. I don't care. Like, I, I stand by what I said. I'll okay. die on that hill okay. Pro- from a bullet if I'm in America. So, yeah. Um, look, listen in next week. What have you got on for us next week? Oh, do you want me to tell you? I mean, we probably need to bring it up. It's um, a big one. I've done so much research for the next one. What is it? I'm going to be talking about the Lunar Park Ghost Train Fire. Ooh. Yeah. So That's it's, an interesting and scary one. Yeah. It And it is um, – it goes all the way to the top. Holy shit. Yeah. It's a huge one. We're going to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. A, a lot of the people. I don't care. A lot of the big hitters are, are dead. So, but we're gonna get murdered. No, we're not. It would make for a, like a great episode if one of us survives. Let's just like make a pact now. To what? Do a podcast where we just sit talking to ourselves? No, no, no. It's like an investigatory podcast. Oh, just turn it into yeah. Right. My sister's murder episode two. Oh, we found out who did it. <laughs> oh, the police solved the, it. The police solved it. They got oh. the person. Oh, um, it was a Scientology fanatic. So I'm sad now and by myself. And I've got nothing to focus on. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've gotten away from ourselves. Um, okay, well, thanks for listening. I hope you're not too sad. I hope that wasn't too – if that was too sad, let us know. But I know that when I'm listening to True Crime Podcasts and the hosts go, this one's so sad, I hope we haven't, like, depressed you too much. I'm like, I'm Okay. I always am like super depressed, but at the same time, I I think that it's important that you don't sugarcoat this sort of stuff yeah, because yeah. it's like those people. That's what they had to, to live through it. That's yeah. what happened to them, yeah. and that's what their families. These are the types of people that are that are in the world. You have to know that these type of types of people exist, and this is why gun reform is so important and mental health. Um, yeah robust mental health exactly you can't just you can't just like sugarcoat it and be like it's so horrible so we're not going to talk about it like it's important this stuff is real it's still happening in america we're we're getting back down yeah okay okay you're gonna need to do a lot of editing on this one yeah i know i know we're we're on really high horses here yeah (laughs) we're on fucking yeti sized horses (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks everyone appreciate your listenership thanks guys bye-bye listen in next week